Welcome to Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow with Jay Allen. Today we're going to challenge you to think differently and do things differently. To search for what is seen as impossible to do in your field or industry, but if done, would be transformative. To understand that the burden of regret is greater than the risk of leading. Now, here is your host, Jay Allen. Hello. I'm Jay Allen, your host for Get to the Future on Time and Do Differently Tomorrow. Today's discussion will focus on transformation and the impact of design. I would like to comment on one of my favorite Thomas Edison quotes. There is a better way to do it. Find it. Very simple, very direct. With my guest today, we're going to discuss his view of transformation that he's seen in his work and his life along the way. We're going to challenge you to step out of your comfort zone to transform something now. And we'll also examine other perspectives on leading transformation. We're excited to have William B. Chilton with us today, who's already led in so many aspects of his life. Bill, you've led significant innovative corporate institutional building design products in projects, excuse me, in five continents. You are currently leading a mixed-use high-rise transportation center, school, and hotel projects in Tokyo, as well as a large mixed-use development in Stuttgart, Germany. And prior to founding Picard Chilton 21 years ago, you collaborated on such notable buildings as the Science Museum of Minnesota and the Kingdom Center in Saudi Arabia, the tallest mixed-use building complex in Europe and Middle East. Your firm, Picard Chilton, is a global architecture studio designing innovative buildings and transformative environments appropriate for today's discussion and delivering value and inspiring communities, a definite add-on. You serve as a foundation governor and on competitive juries, and you are a member of the Royal Institute of British Architects and were elected to the American Institute of Architects College of Fellows. In addition, you're actively involved in teaching and have lectured at numerous universities, most recently at the University of Tokyo. You have received numerous design achievement awards as well as the Distinguished College Alumni Award. That's quite an experience, Bill. You've had lots of things happen in your life and we really thank you for participating today and your insights and thoughts obviously will be very important to our audience as they consider their own transformation opportunities. Welcome and let's, uh, let's tee up what transformation means to you. What happens during transformation and transformative activities in your view? Well, first, thank you, Jay, for uh, inviting me to have a conversation with you. Um, we, we go back many years uh, as friends, uh, and uh, it's a delight to be able to share some thoughts with, with you and your audience. You know, transformation, um, you know, which is fundamentally about change, is something that I've, uh, I've certainly experienced in my, my own career, but more importantly, I've, I've experienced it in working with clients. Uh, both, you know, domestically and, and internationally. And I remember many years ago, it was about almost 40 years ago, uh, I was uh, leading a project for a major corporation and 
uh, I had a, a meeting with the executive committee and, and it was a presentation on what's particular stage of the project. And there was uh, the, the book uh, Corporate Culture had just been published around that time. And I mentioned it to uh, one of the executives and he who had been with the company a long time at that, at that point, he was, he, he point in time, he was probably in his sixties. He said, corporate culture. Well, what, what's that? And, um, and it was new to me too. And, and, oh, by the way, I was, I was, I was in my mid late twenties at the time. So it's not like I had the, the, the uh, uh, decades of experience uh, to fall back on. Um, but that was, you know, it was the first time that he heard it and it was the first time that I had heard it. And of course, it's become completely ingrained in, in our culture uh, and in particular, our, our, our business culture. And, uh, and it's what, what's happened is, is over the decades, uh, as, as you pointed out, I've worked with many corporations um, and, and, and executive teams and, and I've had the pleasure of working on projects where uh, transformation, where change has been driven, um, you know, um, uh, you know, by executive leadership. And sometimes that change uh, can be quite dramatic. And, and so it's been, um, it's been a privilege actually to be part of that and observe it. But um, then because of what I do as an architect, to have the architecture um, be designed in a way that is supportive uh, of this change is indeed a privilege. And um, it's, uh, and, and it's, and, and it, it is very, very gratifying uh, because, you know, that architecture <clears throat> plays a role. I'm not going to say it's a, it, it, it's a pivotal role, but it can play, it can it can be um, a very important supportive role in helping drive organizational transformation. How do your clients actually describe those changes or their vision for what needs to change, so that you can connect and best support that change from a design standpoint? How do they get at that? Well, oftentimes um, it is it is driven, um, you know, by executive leadership, uh, and so it's fairly well thought through and articulated. Uh, it's sort, of, sort of where you're at, you know, sort of in the cycle of of transformation. So it could, you could be at the very beginning, sort of be in the middle, or or toward, towards the end. And uh, the I think what's uh, interesting is that uh, when when it's internally driven uh, versus externally driven, or both. Um, I, I will I will give you an example. I mean, the demographic change in the workplace uh, that has happened uh, over the past 10, 20 years uh, is would 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 be to my to my father, uh, who was in uh, with a large corporation his entire career, would be almost unrecognizable. Um, 
And whether it's demographic change, social change, uh, uh, technology change, uh, change as a result of uh, external forces, a pandemic, uh, as an example, can end up being uh, accelerating that transformation. And I think the, the, the key is, is that uh, how agile is an organization to be able to first pick up on it and then uh, be able to um, move forward and adjust its, its trajectory as appropriate given what the external forces are. But as I said, oftentimes, in fact, it's happening right now. Uh, it can be both ex internal and external forces. And it's that dance between uh, balancing, you know, between those two. So you mentioned the, the cycle of transformation and how it also impacts in your work. So where, where do execs generally live in that cycle when they contact you or it would seem to me sometimes your design could also go back and con uh, actually impact where the, you could move them in the cycle, actually. It could work both ways. And it does. And it does. Um, you know, a, a major corporation, um, very successful corporation, U.S. corporation that uh, we've worked with, um, with a very visionary CEO um, was re realized that things needed to change um, for a variety of reasons, in part because of growth of the organization, rapid growth. Um, and one of the things that I found very interesting uh, is working with organizations uh, that are experiencing rapid growth either through uh, uh, you know, just the growth of the business itself or growth by acquisition. And I've, I've had a couple of experiences in my own career of uh, working for a company that uh, had been acquired about uh, uh, six months after I joined it and working for another company that had, that had acquired another firm about six months before I joined. And so I had this sort of inside view of what happens when two organizations come together. And I think that the uh, one of the, of course, the, the issue today, hands down for every one of our corporate clients in a very competitive environment is how do you recruit the top talent and how do you retain top talent? And I think when you, when you layer that on top of, of growth, whether it's organic growth or it's growth by acquisition, um, it, it's, a, it's a real challenge. It is an art more than it is a science. And uh, I, think it's, I think it's particularly true with companies that grow by, by acquisition. And so they're going through this, the company's going through change uh, you know, through growth but the company that's being acquired is joining a whole new organization. And so they're going through a transformational change as well, but they're being driven by different forces uh, and how you bring those together. I, I, I was, uh, this was probably, 
oh, 12 years ago or so, I was talking with the CEO of uh, with one of our, our uh, corporations that we were working with. It was a company that, that grew by acquisition dramatically. Um, and having that perspective that I did of, as I just mentioned about, you know, being with companies uh, through the middle of, of that sort of change, uh, I asked him, I said, how, how do you do it? How do you assimilate culture uh, in the midst of th- this transformation on the part of both companies, the acquiring company and the companies being acquired? And, and he was pretty matter of fact about it. He, he said, um, you know, we, we have a very strong culture here and, uh, and we, we clearly articulate what it's about and either you're on board or you're not on board. Uh, and I think it's that clarity of vision, um, clarity of accountability uh, that it's helped support that growth uh, through tremendous transformation over a relatively short period of time. When I say relatively short period of time, the company was founded probably, you know, 45 years ago. So do you see designing actually impact, the design actually impacting the culture? You, we talked, you talked about uh, uh, this number one issue today of retaining and acquiring top talent. And that brings to my mind that there's an image part of this, as well as the practicality of how work is done. And you're involved in both of those. And so the the question I had is, do you get comments from execs that say, we're actually during, in the midst of all this change, we're actually moving the culture down a path. And we want the design to help move that culture or do you even? Absolutely. Uh, I'll give you an example. So what, what, is, what you hear today, uh, particularly with uh, uh, interior architects who are you know, planning the, the workplace um, you know, of, of corporations, you'll hear about me space and we space. Me space being you know, your desk, where you work. Uh, and the we space being collaborative space. And the, the question is, is where um, and sort of that needle of, of, of me versus we, uh, does, a, does a company uh, aspire to go? Um, and I would say some, some companies have a disproportionately high percentage of, of we space and others have disproportionately high percentage of me space, uh, but most sort of fall into a, to a, um, a balance there. And what, what can happen, uh, we worked with one uh, client, and we've actually worked with multiple corporate clients uh, uh, that have experienced what I'm going to uh, share with you now. And that is they're coming from a conventional uh, office environment, you know, could be something from the 1970s or 80s, where there is a very high percentage of enclosed offices, um, and and workstations, you know, are are typically viewed as as being 
more towards administrative support. And certainly as an executive, you would not, you know, even consider. Uh, oh, Bill, uh, I want to pick up on that right after the break. Okay. Will work for you? Sure. Super. We'll take a short break. And after we come back, we'll continue this discussion with Bill Chilton. Thank you so much. Are you intent on gaining a new competitive edge in your markets? Are you looking for innovative ways to engage customers and inspire your team to grow your business? Masters Alliance Strategic Management Consulting Firm brings 30 years of experience partnering with clients in over 20 industries in 13 countries to achieve breakthrough business results. Jay Allen and his team of professionals can help your organization discover new opportunities and create solutions to produce a lasting impact in your markets. Masters Alliance will work with you to engage employees, customers, and suppliers to reveal new competitive situations and accelerate how you get things done. Our team brings fresh, multi-industry perspectives and a track record of excellence to help you accomplish significant business goals. If you're ready to set your business apart and make a difference in your markets, visit mastersalliance.com to learn more. Are you ready to look at your customers differently? See them from a fresh perspective to gain competitive advantage and grow revenue? Masters Alliance Business Consultancy brings you beyond demographics the character of the customer, an advanced approach to understand and connect with customers in new ways. You get new views of the motivations and needs of your customers. You engage your organization in unique, actionable, customer segmentation understanding. Masters Alliance will help your team reveal hidden opportunities, identify distinct customer desires, and develop demand-creating value propositions. Now is the time to look at your market through a new lens and chart a new competitive direction. At Masters Alliance, we know that customers are more than meets the eye, and success depends on looking beyond demographics. Visit beyonddemographics.com to learn more. Are you missing business opportunities? Take the bucket off your head and see your business differently today to get the results you want tomorrow. From Jay Allen, founder and CEO of Masters Alliance Consultancy, LLC, the Bucketheads book is the ultimate business guide to excite your organization to market-changing thinking and actions. Drawing on 30 years of experience working with executives in 20 different industries and 13 countries, Jay Allen reveals strategies to connect with customers, markets, and suppliers in game-changing ways. Bucketheads will show you how to step out of your comfort zone and transform your business. Winner of Independent Book Publishers 2020 Gold Medal for Best Nonfiction Ebook. Bucketheads helps business leaders like you champion innovation and ignite the fun of achievement. Get your copy of Bucketheads today. Available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. See more at BucketheadsBook.com. You are tuned into Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow, hosted by Jay Allen. To reach out to the show with questions or comments, please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com. That's info at mastersalliance.com. Now back to Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. Welcome back. I'm Jay Allen, host of Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. We're excited to have Bill Chilton as our special guest with us today. And Bill is a 
worldwide leader in significant, innovative corporate and institutional design projects. We've been discussing transformation and the importance and impact of taking transformative action. And Bill, you were just chatting a little bit about space and we space and my space or me space and we space. Uh, and I found that very interesting. Could you continue on that just for a bit? Of course. And so with the, with the real focus on the balance between me space and we space, and if a company is coming out of, let's say, a, a, a building that they've been in for many decades uh, that has a high percentage of private offices, you're talking about something that is going from a 10 by 12 or 10 by 15 office to a 6 by 8, 6 by 7 uh, open office workstation. And uh, initially, uh, there is resistance to the change um, of you know, wanting to you know, uh, remain in, in a private office. Uh, and through series of change management uh, tools, like actually creating a mock-up of what the new office space would be like, and touring employees through that, you start to start that dialogue about change. But the bottom line is this: is that once a company moves into their new offices, and and there's this complete flipping of the percentages of private offices and open plan offices. Um, if you ask employees, would you like to go back to the way it was? I've never heard an employee say anything but no, I like this a lot better. It isn't about how much square footage I have for my office. It's about, can I work effectively? And are there, are, are there uh, attributes of this work environment, the, the we space that helps me collaborate with my my colleagues and be able to engage in more of a, of a dialogue and have casual collisions in the, in, in the workplace itself. So it, that, that's, I've just seen that repeatedly on, on, on many, many projects. And this is in my own career, you know, 40 years ago, it, there would, would have been a predominant percentage of, of private offices. So that's an example of, 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 the, of the change that we were talking about. Well, I have a personal connection with one of your great projects, the CalPERS headquarters, the California Retirement Group's headquarters in California. And my mother was had a retirement. She worked at the state of Illinois and had a retirement there. And then she worked for many years in the state of California and had a retirement there. And so in her her later years, I got to work with both groups, uh, the one in Illinois and the one in California. And I contrast just the visual look of both buildings, the one in Illinois and the one in California. And I can't make an attribution that this was the cause of the change, but I want to ask you because I have a hypothesis that it was some part of the difference that I noticed, that the CalPERS people were energetic, they were collaborative, they were solution-oriented, and they were definitely customer service-oriented. And it wasn't just because of the weather. <laughs> I could contrast in the spring of Illinois, which was beautiful, against the nice day in California. It didn't seem to have any impact. And I've got to believe that that, my hypothesis, I guess, I'm asking you. 
is that that has some impact on the social culture and attitudes going back to your idea of attracting and retaining talent. Well, that project was actually our first uh, project that we won uh, uh, as Picard Chilton. Uh, we had formed the company and six weeks later, we found ourselves interviewing for the project and, and, and winning it. And CalPERS, um, which is uh, California Public Employee Pension Fund, it's the largest public pension fund in the United States. Um, and when we were doing our initial uh, sort of walkthrough of their existing building, I remember uh, and a CalPERS employee made a comment. Um, you know, it's important to understand that CalPERS is a destination employer in the state of California. I've never heard that term before. Uh, and, you know, destination employer. So what is it? What is it about an organization that makes it a destination employer? And I think at that time, again, 20 years ago, uh, CalPERS was very enlightened about, um, uh, you know, creating a workplace that, that people, both by the culture of the organization as well as the culture of, of the workplaces they wanted to be. And so today we hear lots of things about well-being, well-being in the workplace and, and uh, wanting to create an environment where employees um, uh, have an opportunity to, to uh, live a healthier life, uh, whether it's providing fitness facilities or better food choices in, in, uh, in dining facilities. And CalPERS was ahead of the curve on that. Uh, and so I think what you experienced uh, in, in interfacing with CalPERS, I think probably first and foremost was just a, uh, that's, it's the organization that they are independent of their building. I think the building uh, was in, line, in alignment with the values of the organization and just helped uh, make it uh, even more apparent uh, to employees and to uh, retirees that were interfacing with uh, with the CalPERS uh, system. So it was a, it was a reinforcement. Actually. Yeah, it was a cultural absolutely. cultural reinforcement. That's right. It was it was all very much in alignment. So the execs were aware of the fact that they were they were a de destination employer. The execs, from my experience, of working with over twenty two hundred senior execs in their direct reports in 13 countries and 20 industries, I'm going to conclude very, probably very accurately that they also had a great desire to make sure that culture had continuation. So uh, one of the, the structural items would just enhance that. They would, look, they would be willing to make an investment, I guess, which that headquarters obviously was a big investment, to be part of the picture of sustaining that as a destination employer. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. I think that's a good summation. So one other example that I'm aware of is uh, one, a more recent project, and that is the Northwestern Mutual uh, building and in, in Milwaukee. And I've been a Northwestern Mutual client for decades. And mm. so I do understand a little bit about their culture and what makes them different. But the contrast between their old building and the new building is 
most remarkable, and you can see the old building in the new building. I mean, from, outside, through, through glass. That's right. How did well, that come about? Well, Northwestern Mutual is, uh, is an amazing company that has a laser-like focus um, on their clients. Um, and you, you've experienced that you know, firsthand. Um, when we started on the project, uh, yeah, they, have, they have a series of buildings in downtown Milwaukee. The original building was built in 1914. Handsome, handsome neoclassical building. Uh, and when we visited it the first time, one of the things that struck me was it was in pristine condition. I mean pristine. It was like they just finished the building, you know, a month before. They carefully, carefully maintained the building over, over 100 years. And uh, they had a, uh, one of the buildings that was on the site built in the 70s uh, had some, uh, had to be demolished, uh, opening up the site for what we ultimately designed. And I think one of the most interesting things that that building represents, and, it's, and this is absolutely a trend that we have seen starting about 10 years ago, is how they viewed uh, the corporate culture, the corporate community of Northwestern Mutual and the broader community of Milwaukee. What do I mean by that? That um, for decades, um, it was uh, much more, um, the, the building, if you, you got in the building, if you were a Northwestern uh, Mutual employee uh, or, or a client or a visitor, but there was not sort of free access, if you will, by the, by the community. Uh, in effect, you had to have a reason to be there. And uh, through a series of conversations with Northwestern Mutual, ultimately the, the building uh, has sort of turned itself inside out relative to the community. That the community is, is, is welcome, not throughout the entire building, but in particular on the, on the ground level. And so if you are member of the community and you may not be an employee, you may not be a client of Western Mutual, but you want to go in and get, have a cup of coffee, you can do that. And that has been, we, we first experienced that on a project uh, for Devon Energy in Oklahoma City, where um, the project that they built was transformative to downtown. And when I say that, I'm not saying about, it's all about the architecture. The architecture played a role, but it was the vision of the CEO Larry Nichols, uh, relative to that project and the ripple effect of that project in terms of uh, creating a, a much more vibrant downtown Oklahoma City. And one of the keys to that was, again, opening up the ground floor of the building to the community. And so if you wanted to go to Devon Energy uh, to have lunch, you can do that. Uh, even putting a a, um, a, a public restaurant at the top of the tower. The point is, is that I think what organizations are increasingly seeing is the, the value to the, the corporation and the value to the community of, uh, of, in effect, knitting the two together. And that's very, very, very powerful. 
And we have that conversation now with, with every corporate client. Uh, and some choose to, you know, it's, there's somewhere on a scale, uh, but we have that conversation. And what's really interesting is seeing what the impact is uh, on the community. I think one of the um, one of the things that I've observed over the past number of years is I've practiced as an architect my entire career, and uh, you know fundamentally it's about creating buildings. But I think what is increasingly become the focus, uh, and quite frankly, I would say uh, of being enormously gratifying that it's help. It's it's about creating community. And, and, and what that can mean. And, and I remember when um, both during the time that Devon was being built uh, and afterwards, we would, um, uh, actually I say we, uh, some of the younger staff in the studio would go on blogs uh, to see what people in the community were saying about, uh, about the project. And, it, and, and nobody, whoever was writing on the blog, didn't know that we would be reading this. And it was enormously gratifying. Um, you know, things like I've lived in Oklahoma City my entire life. And what Devon Energy has done to downtown Oklahoma City is the most significant thing uh, that has happened. And uh, I'm so proud to be a citizen of Oklahoma City. Um, again, the architecture played a role. It's really about the vision of, in this case, Larry Nichols and, and Devon Energy as an organization. But also, one of the things that, that Devon did very effectively um, was really strengthen, build the relationship with the city itself. And so th that's where the ripple effect came into, came into, uh, into play because the city started to invest in itself even more in terms of the quality of streets, quality of landscaping. And so, as I said, it's, it's really transformed downtown Oklahoma City. Well, one of the things that your firm, Picard Chilton, is known for is inspiring communities. And it seems uh, that maybe you were a little ahead of the curve on that idea. And your example that you've just given about Oklahoma City is it's it might have caused that organization, uh, Devon, to become more of a destination employer. Well, I would I, I would totally agree with that uh, because you know Devon Energy, by the, the you know by the as the company name suggests, is a major player in the energy industry, and you know Houston um, historically has really been the center of the energy industry. So how do you again? going back to recruiting and retaining top talent. How uh, do you convince a bright young graduate out of a top university to take a position with uh, in Oklahoma City versus uh, a position with company, energy company in Houston? What, one of the things that happened was after the building was completed, Devin, uh, they kept a number of statistics. And one of the statistics was that uh, there was an increase of over 40% in job applicants and an increase in uh, the acceptance rate. That's great. Uh, yeah. How gratifying for you. 
Well, it's gratifying for, for Devon Energy. It's get, I keep coming back to it because it's so important. Architecture played, played a role, uh, played, I would say, an important role, but it was really about the culture of the organization. Why do you want to become, you know, a part of the Devon Energy family? Good and, point. And, and the architecture supported uh, the vision and the values of the organization. Great perspective. And Bill, we'll be right back. We're going to take a short break. about those great opportunities in your business that you wish you could get done? Your organization is so intensely busy, it's difficult to even achieve the urgent projects. At Masters Alliance Consultancy, LLC, our clients have learned to cut the time in half and then in half again and get better results with newly excited associates and execs. The seemingly impossible is possible. We will help you take your organization out of its comfort zone. To energize and embolden your team to champion new thinking, to look at markets, customers, and competition from a fresh perspective. To help your team understand that today may already be obsolete and tomorrow's opportunities are easy to miss. It's time to take action, create excitement, get in the game, and make a difference in the marketplace with our internationally proven accelerated implementation process. Experience the virtual possibilities. Get in touch with Jay Allen at mastersalliance.com. Are you ready to break the mold, discover your business edge, and get to the future on time? Then take the bucket off your head and transform something. Opportunities are everywhere. Drawing on key principles from his award-winning Bucketheads book, Jay Allen and his team at Masters Alliance Consultancy, LLC, will support you as you take your organization out of its comfort zone, energize, and embolden your team to champion new thinking. To look at markets, customers, and competition from a fresh perspective. Discover your organization's outlook on the future. Does your team understand that today may already be obsolete and tomorrow's opportunities are easy to miss? It's time to take action, create excitement, get in the game, and make a difference in the marketplace. Get in touch with Jay Allen at mastersalliance.com. Get your copy of Bucketheads today, available at Barnes & Noble and Amazon. See more at bucketheadsbook.com. You are tuned into Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow, hosted by Jay Allen. To reach out to the show with questions or comments, please send an email to info at mastersalliance.com. That's info at mastersalliance.com. Now back to Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. Welcome back. I'm Jay Allen, host of Get to the Future on Time, Do Differently Tomorrow. Today we're talking about transformation, the impact of design. And I'm with my guest, Bill Chilton. He's a global architect, studio designing, innovative building kind of person. And he looks at transforming environments and inspiring communities worldwide. And Bill, I'd like to pick up on the conversation and ask you about the effort that you're doing with Shinagawa in Tokyo. Mm. Well, um, we won uh, the project a few years ago, uh, and it's uh, just on the cusp of starting construction. Um, but to give you a little bit of information about the project, uh, it was an international design competition um, that we, uh, we won. We had already had another project underway in Tokyo, um, a development of 
almost a full city block across from uh, uh, Tokyo Rail Station. Um, and anyway, we, we competed for this project, won it, uh, and th this, this project is uh, extraordinary on so many levels. First, let's talk about size. Uh, it is, uh, the site uh, is a mile long uh, and it is going to support development of upwards of you know, 13 million square feet over a number of years. Um, we did the master plan for the project uh, and uh, are designing uh, one of the first phases that represents about 5 million square feet. And as you said, it's a mixed use project. It has a range of uses from office to hotel, to uh, uh, conferencing facilities, a major retail component. Uh, and, the, and the project itself is, I, I would say, sort of the definition of transformation. And what do I mean by that? Our client is Japan Rail and, and they control the entire site. Uh, that's, that's important in that you have, you have one entity that's making the decisions relative to the development. And what their vision was for the project was to, it, it, it was reclaiming, uh, the reason the site's a mile long, uh, a portion of the rail yards for development to help restitch two districts uh, of the city. And what's been particularly uh, exciting about the project for us has been their, their focus on creating a vibrant public realm where that is a destination in and of itself, whether or not you, you work or live there or guest at a hotel. And this focus on public realm has completely driven uh, the master plan. And it's been incredibly uh, exciting and incredibly um, uh, meaningful to be involved in a, in a project of this scale, <clears throat> which is you know, interesting in and of itself, but I would say not just physical scale, but scale of transformation as it relates to the public realm. And uh, you know, working in Japan, you mentioned earlier, I've, I've uh, done projects on, on, on five continents and, and working in Japan is uh, the, the only, I, I would say it's just an honor and a privilege. Um, it is, uh, um, you know, we're working with our client and, and the consultant team, just enormously gratifying. And, and there's this shared commitment to the vision that Japan Rail has for the project. Um, and it will be transformative. Um, and so I think those, those sorts of projects, certainly the scale of projects like that, um, but I would say the clarity of vision of the client, particularly as it relates to the public realm, those two things combined don't happen very often. And uh, which, which makes it uh, even more special. We've gone, been going down a path that talks about uh, sort of what I would call enlightened executive leadership mm -hmm. and connected executive leadership, 
maybe noticing and aware executive leadership, uh, tremendous attributes. And we all, we all know that not all leaders are that way. So have you encountered instances where maybe less visionary and less aware executives have wanted you to design a complex for them? And it doesn't really tick off any of the transformative markers that really excites your firm and your people in your firm. Have you run into that? Or do you, or does it, your, the nature or the reputation of your firm kind of deselect that? I haven't really run into that. Um, what, what I've seen is, is that I, I mentioned earlier about sort of being on a, on a, things being on a scale of, of, of change within an organization. And uh, I'm thinking about one project in particular where we started to have this conversation I would say that they were uh, maybe looking at things a little more conventionally, but we started to have this conversation about relationship with the community, the, the, the community in which the you know, project would be built. Um, and it was just a series of conversations over months that they started to rethink, well, hmm, maybe there's a, there, there's a way to find that right balance. Uh, and, and what we did uh, ultimately was we did some benchmarking of other projects, including Devon Energy, as I mentioned to you, that uh, showed how it could work uh, and uh, engaged the CEO of, of, of uh, Devon Energy in that conversation um, with uh, with other executives and what came out of that was um, uh, I think by example, seeing how it could work was a, was a, a shift in thinking. And, and that's played itself out um, in, the, in the project that's been built today. But, you know, I think that the, with, with uh, I think, w- w- in projects where there is this, this uh, drive, driving change uh, relative to leadership, there, there's typically great clarity about where are we going. Um, but I think when, it, when that is coupled with why are we going there, what is the mission and what is that vision, uh, that's when uh, real magic can happen. Well, that connects with really one of the purposes of this show, because what I've found over the decades is when not just organizations and not just executives and leaders, but almost anyone who hasn't participated in transformative things, hasn't heard about transformation and what it means or how successful it can be, even read about it or touched it or kind of smelled it, you know, from others that, that, oh, look what happened, that the risk seems so great that they might see the need for transformation, but they can't bridge the gap. And what you seems to have done very subtly with an example, and I think examples are the best way to accomplish that, is you helped an organization kind of move through 
the transformation thinking yeah. that one you were referring to. And so uh, we find that kind of everybody's got that little piece in their DNA and it needs to be brought out. And sometimes the leaders bring it out themselves and sometimes uh, outsiders help bring it out as well. And I think the recognition really goes to, to the organization, the leadership of the organization, because uh, at, at, at some point uh, they're, they're saying, yeah, okay, we're open to that conversation. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it is, it's a conversation and it doesn't necessarily happen in one meeting. It, in this case, it happened over many months. Um, but it, you know, it, it, there was, there was this shift, um, that, um, you know, profoundly impacted, uh, the design of the building and, um, and, uh, and the employees and visitors, uh, who come to the building. Yes, there was a, a philosopher by the name of Francis Schaeffer, who has a, uh, complex in Switzerland for thinking. And he has a couple of books out on how art influenced thinking and how art influenced transformation and how, in my words, how art helped people be better noticers Hmm. of, of different things and different perspectives and what was going on around them. And you mentioned uh, part of this being art. And it seems to me that you are actually, in many cases, helping execs paint a picture of the future that they're trying to describe through a a piece of art, actually. Functional, but a piece of art. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it does make sense. I'm I'm, I'm smiling as you say that because uh, as a... As an exchange student in 1974, I visited Libri in Switzerland, uh, the, the, what you're referring to, um, and uh, it had a, um, for a variety of reasons, um, had, had a significant impact uh, on me. Uh, and you're, I think you're absolutely right relative to Francis Schaeffer's um, perspective on that. I... Uh, I, you know, I think it's interesting how at different points in our lives, we, 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 we meet, intersect, connect with people either in, intentionally or unintentionally. Um, it's happenstance. And, and what impact that that can have. And I remember it was about, oh, almost 25 years ago, I, I, I met a management consultant in Minneapolis named Bob Terry. And um, Bob was an incredibly unique person, um, bright, uh, very, very gifted, wrote some amazing books on leadership. One was Seven Zones of Leadership. Um, he was perhaps best known relative to authenticity and authenticity and leadership. He wrote the book, uh, authentic leadership, uh, courage and action. And this was, this was a person that strived to, to live what he wrote about. Um, and, 
I would get together with him for lunch, uh, you know, once a month, and we would have these discussions. And it was a, I was dealing with some interesting issues at the time uh, within, within the organization I was, I was working for. And, you know, so here on one side of the table for lunch is the person who's the expert in, it, in the issues around that. And then I was on the other side. And at one point in one of our lunches, he, he said, you know, because you're going through these experiences, you're, you're going through what I write about. He said, you know, we're, we're both learning from one another. Uh, and I think when, and he had a profound impact on my thinking about leadership, uh, about being authentic, about, about risk-taking. Um, I remember I talked to him um, before my partner, John Picard, and myself formed Picard Chilton. And, and he said, um, and, and he made a point of saying um, in the whole the debate about whether or not I should do this, he helped bring clarity to that about acting based on your convictions. And it was the smartest decision I ever made to join forces uh, to form Picard Chilton. Um, but I remember at the time, I know one of the things that Jay, uh, you had mentioned in an earlier conversation about, uh, what is it about the, you know, my own experience, uh, and advice I might have for somebody who's maybe earlier in their career. And it's that to act with the courage of your conviction about what you believe in. I would also suggest you read you know, Bob Terry's books, they're very, very good, as, as well as Jay's books, by the way, um, that, uh, uh, that offer, I think, very sound perspective. And, uh, and I would also just, I, I would just share this. Um, I learned something, I, I heard an interview in 60 Minutes when I was a graduate student. Mike Wallace was grilling the first female admiral uh, of the US Navy, Grace Hopper. And he asked her, how is it that you're so successful man, being the first female admiral in the U.S. Navy? And she looked at him without missing a beat. And she said, Mike, I learned a long time ago. It's easier to get forgiveness than permission. I love that. And that is connected greatly to acting on conviction. And you mentioned some of your heroes. And in my book, uh, Bucketheads, is about transformation. And in the back, I have my 15 Jays legends. And I imagine you have legends. Uh, Bill, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. I've gotten so much out of it. And thank you for your time with our audience and with me. And we talked about leadership, transformation, and its impact on organizations, communities, and on individuals. And for my audience, thank you for the privilege of being with us today. Thank Bill again, and please tune in next week, Thursday, 10 to 11 Central Time. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Get to the Future on Time. Do differently tomorrow with Jay Allen. 
Next week, we will have more takeaways for your business success. So please join us next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk soon.